the dismissiveness, I think, is another part of what gives me that extra drive to just kind of sock it to him in my imagery and mm-hmm. in, in what I do so that it is definitive. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> it is definitive that I made this, that a black fat mm. woman mm. looks like me. I'm not shucking, jiving, twerking or anything. I'm painting mm-hmm. this and my stuff looks like Caravaggio did it. You know, like my stuff <laughs> looks like a master work. And yes, I did that. So, (laughs) and no, you don't have to question me. Welcome to Wise and Wine, a play on the phrase, rise and shine. Now look here, folks. I've had five jobs in the last two years, and that shit just ain't normal. Or is it? No. No, it's not. So I'm turning to diverse people who inspire me both professionally and personally with careers that didn't exactly start at point A and end at point B. We'll explore how their families, their cultures, and their communities impacted their career decisions, as well as the exact moment they decided to pursue their passions, even if that passion wasn't a direct path to a pension or a 401k. Hopefully, I'll come away knowing how they became the badass, the confident, the strategic people that I admire. And if I don't come out of this project a little wiser, well, at least I'll enjoy the boozy wine ride. So your girl has five tattoos and they're relatively small pieces. They were all done spur of the moment. So I didn't sit down and do a lot of research on the artist or um, to know if they knew how to tattoo on black skin or get recommendations from them about things that I should do. I just kind of plopped in there, showed them a picture, sat down, gave them money, <laughs> and, and, and there you have it. Primarily because I typically get them when something significant happens in my life that I want to commemorate. So. The first one I got when um, I was stuck in Hawaii, I was grounded in Hawaii because of September 11th and all the planes were grounded and I was stuck there with this dude and we can get into that story one of these days. So that was my first one. The second one I got when I graduated from grad school. The third, when my ex-husband and I moved um, to Texas. The fourth, when I decided after spending all that time and money in higher education that I was going to switch careers. And then the last one I got when I got divorced. So my next piece, I have an idea. It's a little bit more planned out. It's going to be either a quarter or a half sleeve. And so really want to spend a lot more time (laughs) thinking about who the artist is, but I do have a piece and ideas and things that I want to have done with it. And I've taken it to a couple artists here in Austin, but I haven't found anybody that A, who can do it or B, felt confident that they could do it on my skin, which thank you for letting me know that you are not equipped to put something permanent on my body, but also a bummer. Like, why aren't you training this shit? So annoying. So my friend said, Hey, there's this artist who is a black woman and she's based in Nashville. I want to get a piece done by her. Why don't we do this whole weekend trip where we go out there? We just spend the weekend in Nashville. We get tattooed. We chop it up with her at the shop, yada, yada. I was like, done. So as with all things pandemic, that 
plan got canceled. We were supposed to go um, back in September and, you know, that didn't happen. But I've always just kind of still followed her in the back of my mind and just kind of been peeking in on, on her and what she's been doing. And I just am amazed at her. Her name is, and I'm going to butcher her name even though I don't want to. It's Elisheba Israel Morozik. I've been practicing. I hope I got it right. But she is it. She, as I was doing research for her for the podcast, and she's crazy busy. So the fact that she made time for my little podcast with everything that she has going on is appreciative. She's just amazing. Um, the first part of the podcast gets cut up because of my dumb tech issues. But she starts by telling me how she became an artist. And it was really because when she was in kindergarten, a teacher said to her mom, like, hey, this girl has some talent. Let's get her some classes. And so from there, she she developed her skill pretty early. And then she had a, a teacher in high school who um, was going to retire, but she convinced him to stay for her. And it's been a 360 story because she's been able to go back and visit him, which she'll share. Um, but just having people that support you along your journey is, is, I guess, been a theme for folks on my podcast and a theme for folks that are exactly where they're supposed to be and are exactly where they're supposed to be with, with abandon and confidence. Um, so I don't know. I just, she's just this powerful woman. She's one of those people that are just walking the walk and talking the talk like she's integrity personified she's doing everything that she said she would do she's passionate about making sure that art is inclusive in north nashville and i haven't been to north nashville i've only been there once and i was there for work and so we were doing the touristy crap but she's passionate about preserving the area of North Nashville that's beginning to get gentrified. And so she wants to not only maintain a space for artists and artists of color, but also for future artists that they can have this access to public spaces and see murals that she and some other artists that she collaborates with creates. And so maintaining art so that another kid in the future could be walking down the street and see this and go, I want to create something like this too, or to even see themselves reflected in the art that they see around. It's, it's, it's just a really powerful, passionate, um, action that she's taking. She's putting her words into concrete action and you'll hear her talk about that. Um, she also talks about the importance for making sure that artists are compensated for their work. I think if you've listened to any of my past podcasts with Chris McDuffie, who's a photographer, there is this element of creators not being paid their worth or not being paid equitably for what they do. And so she's really passionate about, does there need to be a labor union for you know artists? There's one for actors. Why isn't there one for artists? And not only for equitable pay, but also for insurance and, you know, everything that everybody else who's in the labor force gets. So I super love talking to her. She talks with conviction. Um, she doesn't drink. So she was drinking a uh, organic mango apple juicy cocktail. And of course, my alcoholic brain went, ooh, that sounds amazing if, with some vodka. If you throw some vodka in there, I'd be all over that. So you miss all that because of my stupid tech. But 
you will enjoy her. You'll be passionate about her. You'll leave this interview with her wanting to kick down some doors. And I don't mean figuratively kick down doors. I mean, literally, you're just going to want to be like, yeah. <laughs> so without further ado, I present to you Elisheba Israel Morosik. So can you tell me about what you consider to be your career path? Like I, I always loved artwork in the kindergarten. My art teacher, she told my mom that she should get me classes. And it really, you know, pushed me toward, I went ahead and got my computer art. But, you mm. know, my family around me, nobody else was really an artist. Uh, in the past, you know, some right. ancestors were artists and maybe couldn't, you know, <laughs> express themselves. We are in America, and, you know, this uh, artist named David, I think, um, or Duke, and he was a potter, and he was enslaved, and he was oh, wow. able to make a few, you know, different kinds of pottery and hostages in them. I was just thinking about how many crafters and masters of, of every kind of thing were never able to even find channels. So I... I'm glad to have that opportunity to be able to create and connect like that. And my family have always been, you know, supportive of it, you know, you know <laughs> but people will be until they see that, you know, being an artist is actually a job. <laughs> yes. And, and it's a job that's not always, you know, paid well. And so I think that's the thing that our parents want for us is like, oh, you can do this thing that you love, but you have to eat too. Yes. <laughs> and that's that's a big part of why I am also such a big advocate for paid fairly. You know, we mm. dismiss artists as these people that just want to do it because they love it. But I mean, we do it because we love it, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of yeah. learning and skill that you spend money, you know, on yeah. to learn things and to buy materials and supplies. And your time is worth money, just like anybody else's. So this whole kind of mess that people believe, uh, this stereotype that artists should just do it because they love it is ridiculous. I mean, we pay professional painters who paint walls a flat color a hell of a lot of money mm -hmm. <laughs> to do just that. And then we want to shortchange people who actually craft a vision and can visually put it up on the wall. And I feel like artists are skilled laborers, just like an electrician, plumber, or a house painter, and should mm -hmm. be paid as such. It's super important that we change this stereotype and this misnomer about arts artists and how they should be paid. And their worth, you know, um, everything remember was created by our artists. So yeah. Yep. Without them, there would be nothing to remember. It would be nothing to stand right. out. It would just be that, you know, totalitarian block concrete buildings. You know, there wouldn't be the skill and craft that comes with beautiful and decorative things that, you know, permeate our memories. Absolutely. And it's funny now that, you know, even with the digital space in art, we went to a, um, here in Austin, we went to an exhibit of Van Gogh the other day and they, they'd done all this multimedia 
stuff with it. And it was amazing. And I was like, oh, like somebody curated this, like somebody put together and thought to like make the art do this on the wall or to come through this on the floor. Like that's still art. And that person had to think of this, the idea of creating something from nothing Oh, I don't know why people don't think that should be compensated for. Like, where? what do you think is the basis for this gap? And what do you think is the resolution to it? The basis for it, I think, just comes from the self and the, the, the idea of the starving artist. Like, mm. we must struggle in order to find ourselves and create <laughs> art. We must be in this battle in our minds to be able to create you know that has been that trope has been you know put out all over the place for years in various forms of media and from books and poems to movies and film you know even music so that's where it comes from just like every other stereotype but and people also think that creating art is easy Mm. And I think that's really funny because if it was easy, then everybody would. <laughs> and that's just not the case. I mean, if you come to me or you go to any artist, pay what they're charging, then you make it yourself and see if it comes out like that. So <laughs> you paying for somebody's skill. And right. I feel like the best way to change that trope is to say it out and loud. This is not how you do it. And Mm -hmm. we also really, truly, and this is something I hope to be able to do. We really need to get artists all on the same page to come together. We need Mm -hmm. a union. We need representation for artists in, you know, the government. If you don't know how to speak about your art, then this person is here to do it for you so that you're protected. You know, artists are the ones who lack insurance or the ones who lack um, um, just basic everything because people want to pay us meal because she just loves it. It should just be a part-time thing. And it's not it's not a job. You know, she needs to get yeah. a job or, or they need to get a job. So we really have to start changing that narrative. And artists ourselves we're going to suffer a little bit in that kind of transition because we're going to, we'd have to stop taking these exposure, you know, these requests for doing something for exposure, these requests Mm -hmm. for doing something for cheap because we need money or because we need, you know, things to do until saying two things that are not worthy of our time, then people are going to continue to ask because it's going to, you know, people are saying yes, you know, and eventually i mean obviously though if if somebody wants to get a lower quality something then that that's completely on them they can go and do that but we have mm-hmm. to make sure that if you are the artwork you know if you really have a lot of time energy and skill and mastery in your profession it's really really important that artists themselves come together and and form a a group to fight these stereotypes i mean they're lobbying groups for every other other business i was watching the other day amazon global national company has commercials that basically are trying to convince people that it's good for them to move into the neighborhood and so they're showing them in cities where they're moving into 
I mean, Amazon's mm-hmm. just setting up bases to take over the world. Y'all know that, right? But basically, <laughs> basically, by putting out mm-hmm. these commercials and these uh, outreach programs that change the perspective by putting things in people's subconscious. When we move here, we're going to make you money too. So it's not a bad thing that we're going to come in, take over the entire retail industry and make everybody go out of business so that soon we're going to be the only one in business to provide anything. Don't worry about that part. You're going to make money when we come in too. Right. That is exactly kind of the thing that artists need to do. We need to come together to make campaigns to put out there and change the mindset of the starving artist and the exposure for artists. I mean, if people put in their budget for anything else that they do to their their home or, or their community, then they can put in their budget for art. At yeah. Because they don't shortchange anybody else. No. And I wonder, too, and obviously not all artists are able to go to school, but is that built into the curriculum? You know, I work in recruiting for engineers, and so there's all the support at the university level on the career side about, well, hey, employers, this is what our students should get paid. And we get we get lists from the schools like, oh, pay the students that go here this. Is that not the case in art school, or at least as far as you know? And is that something that needs to be changed? Well, the uh, the way of the <laughs> art school is, I think, traditionally leaving. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. College has gone out of business, and it was around mm. about 80, 90 years. Um, and one of the big colleges here in Nashville, Watkins, uh, they were bought by, into their system and closed. So the way of the traditional art college is is kind of out of the door and also I advocate for prices at art schools like I mm. I don't remember that at all in in my time there um they would help you some with art placement but art college really wasn't the place that it to be honest I mean like all of these colleges are you know, for-profit capitalist businesses, which means that that your best interests aren't necessarily theirs. But art college is different from these other ones. Like engineers, you have, you know, a flat kind of rate to start at. But art is yep. so varying and so different. It's It's very kind of difficult unless you have, you know, all pottery people at this kind of skill level and what does that skill level look like, which is, I think really difficult why we need this whole kind of group consensus to come together, to make these, um, these points of reference to, to work from for everybody. But um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think they advocated as well as they should have for artists to be paid correctly. And it's also, you know, I was reading an article the other day about how so many MFAs go to school and only a few ever break out of actually, you know, making a real living off of their artwork. So many just go into the hole of debt of a lot, a lot of money with the MFAs. um, And, you know, there's nothing for them out here. And so it's just, 
art has a long way to go. And another part that I think is the problem is that the consensus of what art is and what constitutes quality, because it's so, so subjective. And I think until we separate art as a business and art as a thing that, you know, everybody can do because art can be done by anybody. Anyone and make art. The problem that we get into is some people probably shouldn't sell their artwork. It shouldn't be a business for them. Mm-hmm. And and this is this is kind of a controversial topic because you don't want to tell somebody their artwork is not good because I don't think that that is the thing. I think that it is about selling your artwork as a business. And when you're getting into that professional aspect of it, there has to be some sort of standard in yeah. order to be able to, you know, make it fair for artists of every level. So if you have artwork in a particular, you know, area is not a certain quality, you know, how do you tell them that without them saying, well, this person's stuff looks like this and they're making this much money because so many, so many people's things are subjective. And a lot of people don't understand how the fine art world and then the art business world, you know, all operate myself learning how a lot of these things operate. So I don't exactly know the full resolution, but it's going to involve people kind of letting go of egos. It's going to involve the word standardized, but some sort of method of measuring um, quality or, or, or worth because it's just so everybody can make art absolutely but should everybody sell art is is the big question no funky in in that way so quick to say that you're just trying to leave people out if you don't if you say that maybe you should just do art for yourself or your family or your friends or as gifts and not try to make it your business. But then right. if you say that, you know, people, people get very upset that you have the audacity to do that, <laughs> which, you know, I, I'm, well, I mean, I don't know, like if there are multiple, you know, um, let's find some other uh, uh, thing. Um, there are plenty of people out here who sell, um, t-shirts. How about that? T-shirts. <laughs> so there are some really, really high-end t-shirts that cost a whole lot of money. And then mm-hmm. there are really, really cheap t-shirts that don't cost any money. Um, but, or very, you know, very, very, and the quality of them is less. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I didn't say that right, but you know, no, no, no. That, that, yeah, no, that, that's you the perfect thing. I mean? Here's something like, that we all need, we all use, but it's different for us. So, like for me, you know, that soft T-shirt, that's that soft fabric. It's very different than like what I would get at Walmart, which the fabric is different and the design is different. So yeah, there's going to be there's not one kind of T-shirt. There's a range of T-shirts, and some of that 
is just so that we're not naked. And some of that are because I'm making a statement about what I put on my body. Exactly. And so I, I have different needs for it. And so I will spend my money differently based on what I'm doing with it or how I'm consuming it. And that's the same with art. Is this something I'm just love for myself or is this something I need to put in a gallery and then have to promote and sell and whatever. So yeah, it's, it's, everything is different. Right. And, and, and that's, that's exactly, you know, what I was, what I was getting there is like, you know, it, it just is some standard somewhere that I guess in consensus needs to be made as to what something is worth, but it's so subjective. So it's just a difficult place you know, you don't want to discourage people from creating art because I never want to discourage people from creating itself. Um, and I also really, truly want, especially for Black, Indigenous, and people of color artists, I really want them to get outside of this box of only thinking about selling their work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when people want to just sell their work, then they will do whatever they think is going to sell rather than creating brave and unique artwork that challenges things. And that does that job that only art can do, which is to, you know, teach, educate and, and, and grow and inspire. So when you, when you have people who only, you know, draw what's trendy just so they can sell it, then what's the difference between them and just a manufacturer? Mm. Um, um, yeah, I really want artists to be able to get paid what they're worth so that they can take a leap and create something different or else we're all going to be just getting, you know, the yeah. same picture of Malcolm X painted in 20 <laughs> different colors, you know, like right. we're only going to have that forever. And mm-hmm. I, I really want, I know that there's so much, you know, creativity out here that people aren't tapping into because they're afraid it might not sell or, or we can't be afraid to try and, and fail. And we can't be, uh, we have to have funds to be able to try and fail. So, you know, really trying to change how people see artists and how they see them in their economic decisions something that has to be addressed and and now I am trying to get uh, this nonprofit. it's called the North Nashville Arts Coalition I am working on getting that off the ground right now we're building up our programs and you know writing out budgets and I'm learning all of these processes because that's not something that I've ever done before (laughs) Um, and Part of our goal there is to first get a permanent home for arts in North Nashville. You know, it's Mm. rapidly gentrifying. We Mm. really don't own anything. I don't own a building on Jefferson, unfortunately, or in I own my home in Bordeaux. But I'm really hoping that this nonprofit can purchase some property to have permanent space for artists with a historic connection to North Nashville, especially those um, Black, Indigenous, people of color who have been a part of you know, North Nashville since, you know, America. So I am working on that first. And once we get that up and running, I'm hoping that I'll be able to make contacts with other arts organizations, 
and try to figure out what it would look like to have an advocacy group for artists. I don't know mm. anything about that. So I'm really going to need somebody who does know about advocacy and lobbying and, and that business, you know, kind of portion of this whole endeavor. The North National Arts Coalition is coming from a place of passion for me because I don't want to leave North Nashville without a them. You know, mm. there are communities, places like the Boys and Girls Club or whatnot, but I want a open space um, that they don't have mm. to spend a, a bunch of money on. Right. And to be able to have a gallery space that they don't have to pay 50% of their fees to. And that is mm. open to emerging artists who may not, you know, know everything about how to get to the art world or is not dependent on Black History Month to get a spot in their gallery. Right. You know, I want to have programs to introduce art and the value of art to everyone in the neighborhood, kids, adults alike, and to make sure that the gentrifiers who are coming in um, will learn about North Nashville, its history, culture, and not try to change it. Um, because mm. when you lose the culture bearers and the artists, you lose uh, the soul and the spirit of the neighborhood. Yeah. The Jefferson Street Art Crawl was but uh, the pandemic and the tornado have kind of taken away mm. uh, the other businesses that were a part of the art crawl. So that's not happening right now. But I'm bringing back small things like our artist kickback. And that's just a place uh, that artisans and creatives, writers, whoever in the community can come together at my shop, my tattoo shop, and play games and eat snacks and listen to music and connect the network and just have a safe space to chill that is, you know, so and be surrounded by art, by Black artists and local Black artists. So I want to do some sort of advocacy group in the future, but I don't know what that looks like right now. <laughs> but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So is, is that why you're, I, I love seeing the, the murals that you post on Instagram. So is part of that, beyond just loving murals as part of it, making sure that there's art still in North Nashville and that people don't forget. And maybe a little kid that is like you in kindergarten and sees these art pieces publicly that they can get inspired by that as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, okay. murals and public art are where I am wanting to take, um, a part of my artistic practice too on a more regular schedule. I really want to do more murals, more interactive public artwork that's really heavily black undertoned, you know, like mm -hmm. I wanted people to know that this was created by someone black, uh, that this is for black people. It's for everybody, mm -hmm. but it's really for black right. people, you know? Right, I, right. I really want black girls and boys um to see it and yes be inspired and like oh man somebody like it, that representation is there i could actually be an artist like that's something i can do it's not just you know michelangelo's and picasso's it's uh dante and and, mm -hmm. and shaniqua and they out here <laughs> and they doing uh these paintings and right. they look awesome and they look like me and they're high quality you know, yeah. I, I, a lot of times 
miss um, artists of color because they feel like they don't have a specific quality that they are looking for as far as technical skill in art. And the reason a lot of art people don't have that is because art is taken out of the poor schools first. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and we don't encourage them to continue creating beyond children. So that's another thing that the Arts Coalition is going to do is to bring art and education and workshops, preferably for free to those people in North Nashville um, and who need it to be able to actually keep taking classes as long as they want and learn more and bring their art and show it. But, I, you know, I, I, when I started doing artwork and stuff, you know, all the people I learned about were white old masters. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't learn about black artists at all until I got to high school and um, I had black art teachers. I had two. Um, my favorite guy ever, Mr. Wister Wilson, is a black <laughs> art teacher in Memphis City Schools and he was a phenomenal artist. And I just mm -hmm. luckily you know, came in and he was about to retire and I got him to stay one more year for me to my senior year. <laughs> You're like, but, please don't uh, go anywhere. I love you. <laughs> I know. He was awesome. He is awesome. He, he, I actually went to see him right before the pandemic hit um, in Memphis to give him some of my stuff from the Frisk Museum. Um, oh, wow. And it just felt really good, you know, being able to go back to somebody who inspired me and who, you know, had to be a black man, you know, creating mm -hmm. artwork during Jim Crow, you know, during, you know, the tumultuous times of segregation. And then afterwards, you know, being able to break into an art world that was completely against you. Um, and he ended up being an art teacher, which, you know, he was meant to be there to help me. And I want to make mm -hmm. sure I give back um, to, to other kids who like me, maybe, you know, wouldn't have known without somebody to be like hey you know this is something you should be working on this is something that you could be great in so yeah and it it it, it makes a difference i i was recently we went to columbia in february and we were just walking around i don't know if you're familiar with gets but it's kind of their art area so we're just kind of yeah. walking around looking at murals and stuff and I, I don't know why I was surprised, but just to see this art of women that look like me, like black women who were yeah. curvy and their parts weren't flat and they had yes. full lips and afros. And I was like, I wasn't expecting it. And I just got so overwhelmed and I started crying. My boyfriend's like, are you okay? I was like, I just wasn't expecting it at all. Yeah. And to see that too in your art. And I think you even said that you get inspiration from your art just by from yourself like you want to see people that look like you in art and it, yeah. it really really makes the hugest difference in the world in terms of inspiration and knowing that somebody sees somebody that looks like me and decided to paint them and put them on a wall and elevate them and make them huge it was it was amazing yes I mean representation man it, it, it just matters so so much like a ridiculous amount more than I think they've even studied. But I mean, <laughs> as far as like the pieces that I'm doing, especially now, like for a long time, I definitely, you know, I always have done black women always, but I also, you know, didn't make them look exactly like me. They were that perfect kind of model look that people want. And I've started getting out of that and making them much more realistic 
because, you know, after you wake up to, you know, the whole capitalism thing and that it's just them trying to sell you what will make them money and not what is necessarily true. You can start loving yourself and loving, you know, this look that you are. And also, um, like right now, I'm working on a series with my husband and it's called Love Letters. And all the images are bigger, you know, voluptuous black women with bodies that are bodies and they're their bodies. And the whole point is my husband is writing these love letters to these women and things Mm -hmm. that we should know, you know, we are loved just as much as anyone else who is so-called, you know, perfect or so-called held at this standard. So having that representation there and seeing that, you know, is, is everything, you know, cause there are always yeah. times, you know, in, in someone's life when they, they think that they are not enough or they think that they are not fitting this thing. And so they beat themselves up for it and they, they don't see their full potential or they, you know, don't take a step to do something great because they think that they're not the ones that's supposed to be there. I can't tell you how many times I've been told no. <laughs> I mean, mm. tattooing, I was told no from day <laughs> one. Nobody wanted me here. Not a single person wanted me here. And they did everything they could to try to not have me be a tattooer and it's just tattooing it's not like I'm doing any kind of rocket science I'm not doing anything <laughs> that that's gonna change the world you know I want right. to do a tattoo and right. <laughs> they really really fought me just to do tattoo I've right. always felt so alienated in the industry mm. because I do not fit the description and everywhere I went when it was tattoo time I got stairs 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 they still stare at me (laughs) (laughs) and then they 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 disrespect too is just so funny because they'll see some of my work and they'll like do that that? and i'm like incredulously and some shit like i couldn't just do it like the, the dismissiveness i think is another part of what gives me that extra drive to just kind of sock it to them in my imagery and mm-hmm. in, in what I do so that it is definitive. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> it is definitive that I made this, that a black fat mm. woman mm. who looks like me, I'm not shucking, jiving, twerking or anything. I'm painting mm-hmm. this and my stuff looks like Caravaggio did it. You know, like my <laughs> stuff looks like a masterwork. And yes, I did that. So, (laughs) and no, you don't have to question me, (laughs) but it's just things like that. I am really wanting, you know, to elevate every, every artist that I meet, um, especially every black artist I meet to just hold themselves to a higher standard and know that, and, and make sure they're critiquing themselves and pushing out their best work and don't apologize for it and don't humble or, 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 or lower what you're doing because people don't think that you did it, you know, like really show them what you can do 
and, and kind of just give him a big fuck you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, I mean, for tattoos, for art, for everything, like the incredulous reactions I get. <laughs> Where I was right. at, I was downtown at Fifth and Broadway, and I was painting. Um, this last mural that I did with the blue woman, she had a boom box and I was standing there painting on it with the brush paints, mm. everything. And oh, people no. were just like, Oh, this is really cool. Who did this? <laughs> you got like paint on your face. Like, <laughs> I literally am just sitting there and they're just like, Oh wow, man, this is really cool, man. Who did this? And they're talking to me and I'm sitting up here like, Yeah, it's kind of the the same situations we have. Like if we'll be at a, you know, I think I was at a wedding once and I was sitting outside because we had gotten there early and one of the bridesmaids was late and she showed up and she gave me the car key and she's like, hey, can you go park this? I'm late. And I was like, what, 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 (laughs) what about this situation makes you believe that A, I'm here to park your car. (laughs) Like, I look like everybody else. What are you talking about? (laughs) Right. (laughs) audacity the audaciousness the the like i yeah and very like i'll be at a store sometimes and if somebody looks like they're working at the store i'll say hey i'm sorry excuse me do you work here first exactly just to see before i just assume and it's Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean Mm -hmm. it's so funny i've even had people walk away once they found out did something like <laughs> the where was I? It was happened in Buffalo, New York. I was in Buffalo, and I was painting a mural at an event, and I had a booth set up with just some cards and stuff talking about my tattoos and some a book full of my my work. And my uh, friend, who's my booth babe, I call her. <laughs> she's a little white girl, and she's covered in my tattoos. Oh, and awesome. she would run booths for me and talk to people when I. And this lady came up, um, one lady came up and she was like, oh, this artwork's really awesome. I really love it. And she talked about how she wanted this tattoo. And um, so my booth babe, her name's Stevie. She was like, oh, yeah, you know, um, she's such a great artist. She's down in Nashville. But, you know, um, if you want to make an appointment, you know, she can maybe do something before we leave Buffalo. And so she was like, oh, I love your art. And she was like, no, no, I'm not the artist. (laughs) (laughs) The artist is up on stage painting a mural. And so she was on Ink Master and she does all the work in this book. She did all these tattoos on me. Oh, I think I have a picture of her here. And she closed the book with my picture on the front. And as soon as the lady saw me, she was in mid-sentence. She stopped and walked away. (laughs) (sighs) And I so have no words other than I'm curious. I think it's one of those things where I, I'm a. I'm glad you weren't there, but b <laughs> to have Stevie see it happening so that when you know you have these and she's your friend, so she probably yeah. knows. But but to have somebody see it yeah. and be like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. I I can't even imagine what happened in her head that day <laughs> when oh, it happened. Oh, she she was like. I, you know, she was, she, she had, you know, she had seen, cause we had done conventions before, but, and she had not seen nobody do that hardcore, but mm-hmm. you know, she had definitely seen, and I had done an experiment with her at a convention one time where I sat down at my booth 
same booth, everything set up the same. I sat down at the booth. I was kind of sketching on something, and people would not stop and look at any of my stuff. They wouldn't stop. Mm. They would see me, and they would walk past my booth and stop at the next booth. And then out with me, I mean, I would, yeah, I would and look at the booth and put her behind the booth, and immediately people started to stop and look Ugh. at the books. And <laughs> I, even my husband, my husband's white, okay, mm-hmm. and he at first we first started dating oh, was ten years ago. Um, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm sure stuff happens, but it really is probably not that bad. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. we, he saw the same stuff and he was like, damn, well, it's <laughs> bad. It's worse than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I tell my boy, my boyfriend is white as well. And I tell him, I was like, look, whenever we go to restaurants, they're going to sit me by the table, by the bathroom or in some crappy location where we don't have a view or just some place that's not ideal. And he's yeah. like, no, no, it's not that bad. And now that we've been together, he's like, I'll, I'll put my name in. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, please do. <laughs> because right. I don't want to sit by the bathroom. Okay. It, <laughs> it's really true. Without fail. Oh, my gosh. And that would be a fun installation to just tape it tape the two dichotomies between two of you at the booth and just show it and be like, look, people. I actually at- considered that. You know, because what we learned in 2020 is that racism doesn't exist unless it's on video. Oh, yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the thing about 2022, (laughs) we did a lot of, you know, activism and Mm -hmm. marching and, and really trying to do something during the pandemic. And I was really happy that people really stood up to try to do something. But the only thing that I see that has actually changed is that now these companies sell to us directly. Yeah, <laughs> they were selling yeah. to us indirectly. Mm-hmm. Now they sell to us directly by putting people in the commercials and, and making these things happen. Nothing yeah. else has changed. I no. still don't understand why we allow companies who had heavy hands in racism and segregation in the past, I don't even understand how they are still in business. Like, why do we continue to support and give funds to these these businesses and corporations? Because they have not actually changed. Yeah. And we we keep just kind of letting it go along. I feel like we've gotten so comfortable with it that we might have a little fake outrage and, you know type about it but we're not really getting together to functionally do something about it because it's it's not like and I also feel and this is a pretty might be controversial but (laughs) you when when did you shy away from that let's be real Um, (laughs) the next decade is going to be very very when it comes to any sort of talk of actual reparations or change. And the reason mm. why I think the next decade is so important is because the boomers, as they retire and pass away, the last people who lived through actual lawful segregation will be gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, will start to pass away in larger numbers, especially if this pandemic continues to mm-hmm. move forward because we won't take the <laughs> temporary yeah. actions to stop it. 
Um, and if once living people are gone, mm. it can become fiction. Mm. People already deny the Holocaust. People already <laughs> deny that slavery was what it was. People mm-hmm. and these technology with deep fakes and the ability to alter and edit things beyond um, credibility, not knowing where they came from, how they got there, if they are real or not. And also Mm -hmm. the ability with video to change video where you cannot see that it's altered gets Mm. better all the time. Yeah. And the ability of discernment between truth and fact and this fake news and opinions like the most dangerous thing that Trump did was make the fake news thing happen because when there is no ability to discern truth and opinion is fact we are next decade important and I'm hoping that use art and that other artists will come together to, to create work that addresses issues like you know truth and fiction but i mean at this moment we're all kind of being led by you know 12 white guys in a room who make algorithms because everything we see is controlled by a couple of giant corporations who do not actually have to answer to anybody because they have yeah. enough money not yep. to. Yeah. So Ooh. and we're at the top of the hour, so I want to be do you have extra time or we need to we need to wrap up? I got like ten minutes. Okay. Ten minutes. So <laughs> I have to ask because hi, I don't know anybody that's met Dave Navarre in real life. So you were on Ink Masters, which was I imagine amazing exposure for you. So A, how did you get on the show when you hadn't been tattooing that long? B is Dave Navarro that beautiful in person. I imagine he's really short. And then <laughs> what I also saw the episode of one person you were supposed to tattoo but wouldn't allow you to tattoo. So just what was that experience like and how have you translated that into your career now? What did you learn then that you have have implemented into your career now? Well, so And that's 15,000 questions, sorry. Well, no. Ink Master <laughs> was interesting. I'll start with the Dave Navarro question. Dave Navarro is very pretty. Um, and he was cool, you know, but I mean, he was literally, he's literally there to get paid and to just do whatever. He, <laughs> he He's a figurehead. He was a figurehead for the show. But he was cool. I didn't have any, you know, issues with him and he was very pretty and he is quite short. Um, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Shorter than I thought, you know. I, I would definitely would have thought he would have been taller, but I noticed that a lot of famous dudes mm-hmm. are pretty short. For sure. Anyway, yeah. um, the other part, uh, Ink Master kind of hit me up about it, um, and I was excited about it at first, and mm. I watched a few episodes before I went on. Thought I kind of knew what to expect, and then they decided to kind of switch it up on our season. Mm. And it was very interesting because I forgot for a second who I was, okay, mm. and who I am in the scope of this nation's vision of what I am. So um, when I got, when we got there, it was 30 people, and they were doing, like, this mass elimination, like, ceremony. 
and they had a bunch of girls this time. And when I walked in, after I saw everybody and saw what we are going to do, I was like, oh, okay, this person's going to win. And I picked her out immediately. I knew exactly who was going to win because the TV show, it's for TV. It's not for actual mm. tattooing. Like, okay. good tattoos and being a great artist are secondary to what you look like and what sex appeal or what appeal you're going to have to their viewership audience. Mm. Their viewership audience don't like me. Gotcha. <laughs> they have no interest in me. Um, but the artist who won, she's really good. I still think, though, that um, uh, Kelly Dottie should have won because Kelly is a stupidly phenomenal tattoo and her use of color um, and imagery is amazing. But she also doesn't fit the you know, inked model cover look that they want. Um, but she was, uh, the top three girls were good to get the, the the second TV show that they had. I think it was like Inked Angels or something. So they were able to benefit off of that. But, um, you know, it was not real life. It was mm-hmm. it was TV and TV is for views. It's not for, for anything. Biggest issue that I had was when it was my turn to come up there for the final uh, elimination for that day, it was this guy and he comes in. First of all, he had a beret on. Okay. <laughs> had a beret. I, I'm going to like have to, from now on be like, I don't want nope. nothing to do. With you. Okay. <laughs> so he was covered in trash punk tattoos. Um, they were just black crappy you know hack yeah. Yeah. and then he comes over and he pretends like he likes my work but then he doesn't have an idea but anything I give him he doesn't want it he, yeah. he doesn't like it at all he doesn't want anything to do with it and it's like two and a half hours of my time jeez oh, I didn't realize it was and that by long the time, and I'm fighting with him at this time I'm like dude like I'm gonna get eliminated yeah. please just let me do something and he was like mm-hmm. yeah. so I, I kind of feel like he was a plant mm. but you know it's TV so they could absolutely throw that in there but um, by the time they came over uh, the judges came over and put him out the, and they gave me another girl I only had three and a half hours to do my tattoo, to design, draw, mm. and do my tattoo, whereas everyone else had been had the whole six hours. Nah, okay. So, um, that in, and they didn't like what I did, even though I didn't mess it up, and the young lady who has it, she's also a tattooer. Uh, she liked it. Tattooer and she now. liked it. Yeah, she liked it, and um, you know, I appreciate her coming in and let me, let me knock it out. You know, it definitely wasn't necessarily my best piece, but at that point, I was just trying to get a piece done as, right. as good as possible. But uh, it was definitely TV. And I mm-hmm. definitely, like, wouldn't recommend that experience for someone who is thinking that it's like their studio or their shop where they have the ability to be comfortable and work. First of all, you can't have any music playing because they don't have the rights to it. Oh, you no. This is just the people breathing and the buzzing machine. Oh, no. That sucks so bad because I love music. I play music all day. Oh, no. I can't even You're just sitting there listening to the Yes, it was terrible. And anything you said was being recorded. So if you said anything, they'll pull it back up. 
And the way they chopped the episode up, it didn't even happen in that order and how it happened. So oh, it's gosh. very interesting how you know these this word reality tv is not reality it's still it's not scripted in the way where you have to read and remember a script but it's definitely encouraged in the way of oh yeah i'm going to record this again and again until i get the reactions that i want Mm. and what they didn't show either was how shittily they talked about my tattoo uh, instead it just made it look like I was just crying because I got put off instead of how oh. I talk shit about my work so mm. it was very a very interesting uh, interesting deal and but I was doing good beforehand uh, as far as tattoos go and I, did, I was only on the one episode so I didn't uh, you know make it a ton of exposure from it and I don't use it to market with because I don't need it. Um, gotcha. My my work has always been unique and different and when you are doing something different, people won't like you. So I'm not mm-hmm. mad about that at all and, you know, it's really all good. I, I don't fit that look. You know, it wouldn't have been a money maker for them and this is capitalism. So, uh, I mean, I would love to have a, a, a black tattoo show that is about the artwork because, uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, Black Ink Crew is not about art. I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about art at all. So, no. I, I'm, it's, it's about, you know, it's basically love and hip hop in a tattoo shop. Yeah, in a tattoo, cool. exactly. Exactly. It's it's cool. It's it's for the demographic that they want it for. But I would really love to see a focus on fine art and high end art body art from black tattooers because they are out there. We are not very many um, yet, but there are some out here who are really, really, really good, um, and we really don't get you know the exposure uh, that we should. But I'm. I am not hurting, so I'm. <laughs> I don't think so. You you've definitely kept yourself kind of the multi hyphenate, where you're you've got your hand in this and this and this and this. And I do have to thank you for your time because I know that you're busy. But I I will be remiss if I tell you that my friend Bronwyn Butler introduced me to your art, and we had actually scheduled to get work done by you in Nashville. We were going to fly out there and get tattoos done by you, um, and then the stupid pandemic hit. But Oh <laughs> yes, yeah, and your and your husband yeah. was so sweet with the scheduling. It was so nice, and so no, we were we were ready, and we were gonna get tattooed by you and spend like all weekend with you, and then the pandemic hit. But we will we will get back. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get let, back on your calendar. Definitely let me know because I am I, the pandemic put me so far behind. Like <laughs> I was already booked, but then <laughs> that just kind of really messed my schedule up. So I am now just now. Like by by probably March, April next year, my wait list should be pretty much done and I'm going to go to a first come first serve thing. Like okay. I am just going to be like, I'm doing 10 tattoo days a month and I'm going to send it out to my email list first. So it'll be like, all right, if you want one, I'm going to send out an email this go. day this time. <laughs> if you don't click it, then I can't help you because <laughs> I really, I really want to make you know, I'm going to keep tattooing. I love tattooing. I love doing, you know, amazing art on every skin tone. I don't shy yes. away from anybody's skin tone because beautiful tattoos do not depend on how light you are. 
you just have to create differently for different things. You know, there is ink and art out here for everyone. And, you know, the technology will catch up. Um, that's another thing I want to work on, but I don't have enough arms and legs and hands <laughs> and monies. So, <laughs> but the technology will have to catch up because, you know, there are just more um, amazing artists and, and black people and people of every skin tone deserve the most amazing art that they can get. And no one should, you know, have less than art um, or, you know, have to settle for something that they do not want. But we do have to work on technology in the tattoo industry to make that happen. And we've been ignored for so long by these companies um, and by the tattoo industry. Um, So it's just now starting probably people to actually think about how they can make better ink for darker skin instead of just improving on formulas for white skin that they've been having for so long. So we'll see what happens in the next few years. You know, it's going to take somebody with funds and some good chemists, which I'm looking for, by the way. <laughs> if you're a black chemist, um, hit me up. <laughs> well, where can, where can these uh, black chemists or anybody that's interested in seeing your work and all of the avenues that you've created with your digital uh, coloring book, all that good stuff, murals, yeah. where can they find you? So you can go to my website, queenbeeink.com q-u-e-e-n b-e-e-i-n-k dot com you can go to my Instagram queenbeeink spelled the same I'm revamping my website and I hope to have a um, a little online store soon for small works that I've made um, and also starting kind of a a tat not a kind of a podcasty deal where I just talk while I'm tattooing them about various things I hope to start that up um, later this year beginning of next year and I've also got my tattoo shop at 1511 Jefferson Street one drop ink tattoo we're still here we're fighting gentrification trying to stay (laughs) and (laughs) opening up a small um, kind of a gallery studio space in a hundred Taylor arts collective in Germantown starting uh, in next month, September ish where I will have for sale. I'll be doing paintings and stuff out of it. No tattoos in that space. And I also have um, other local artists working there, black artists. Um, since we don't have the art crawl anymore, I wanted to give a space to local creatives more foot traffic for art so that'll be at hunter taylor awesome honey dip studio i love it and i was going to ask you about work-life balance but we've run out of time so i feel i think we found the uh first topic of your podcast is how yes. you manage all of this and, well, and balance the rest of your life. balance part but we work <laughs> we working on it all right thank you so much alishiba have a great day hey you're welcome thank you for having me all right bye-bye bye-bye So about a month ago, I think, my friend Paula sent me a link to a contest called Fab Over 40. And she said, you should really enter this. And I was like, over 40, yes, Fab, not so much. But I trust Paula, so I decided to check it out. 
And so what the contest was is the winner would get a two-page spread in this magazine called New Beauty and a spacation, a luxurious spacation of a lifetime and $40,000. Uh, you had me at $40,000. So it was, it didn't cost me anything to enter. I think I just filled out, uh, they asked three questions. I had to submit a bunch of pictures and the three questions were like, what makes you fabulous? <sighs> like nothing. I just, I'm not fabulous. The people that I interview for this podcast are fabulous. I wrote some stuff. I don't even remember what it was, <laughs> but there you go. So the second question was, do you see yourself as Phoebe, Monica, or Rachel? And I was like, honestly, neither, none, neither of those three. I really would like to see myself as Maxine Shaw from Living Single. Maxine Shaw Esquire, who was stylish and smart and beautiful and had great friends and great style and could leave or take her man. Like, that's who I wanted to be, Maxine Shaw. So, you know, that's what I wrote. And then the third question was, what are you gonna do with $40,000? And I think about where I am with traveling and scuba diving and how many organizations I've been exposed to since I started and really wished that other people had the same excitement and knowledge and ability to dive. So that's what I wrote. Like I wanna amplify and support um, organizations like Black Girls Dive Foundations. So that, that's where I want to be. And submitted my information, didn't think anything of it. Couples of days later, a list came out of the women who are in my group. I don't know how many groups there are. Um, so I imagine there's going to be more stages after stage one. But in my group, there were 65 women. And so I started reading their bios and you know, the woman who was kicking my butt for a really long time is a grandmother, a young grandmother, but she's a grandmother and she wants to be a rock star and she wants to use the money to spend on like studio time and self-publishing her music and merch. And another woman um, is like a life coach and so she was going to use it to amplify her business. And another woman was like going to put the money away to pay for her kid's college. And um, I was like, ooh, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I understood the assignment, but I answered how I felt. I said what I said, so I stuck with my responses and let the votes go as they may. You guys, I am number one out of a group of 65 women. Say what? Like, I had no notion that I would be anywhere near the top of anybody's list, but there your girl is, right on top, number one in my group of 65, what, what? So I will give credit to Scuba Steve because I was in second place behind um, Rockstar Grandma for a while, and so I asked him to post it on his Facebook. And so through his Facebook, Thank you to his family and friends for voting for me. Thank you to my family and friends for voting for me. Thank you to you guys who found me through Wise and Wine Instagram page and voted for me. Like I had no vision that I would get this far and now I'm obsessed with it. I've already got everything planned out. Like 
I was thinking about the magazine spread and are they gonna have somebody that knows how to do my black hair? Probably not, so I'm getting my hair braided today so we don't have to worry about that. And then I was like, hmm, am I, is that person gonna know how to do my makeup? Will they have a makeup artist to do black makeup? If not, I've been going through some Jackie Aina tutorials on YouTube so I know what the heck to ask for when I get to my photo shoot. And I'm gonna reach out to the Black Girls Die Foundation and get a shirt so I can wear it in my photo shoot. I already have this planned. I've already won in my head, and which is ridiculous because there's still another round. Like I said, I'm number one in my group. I assume there's gonna be other rounds. so. Again, I appreciate all of you guys for voting for me. I got a little nervous because they had this one day two for one voting thing where I guess if you paid money, um, then your vote would count for two votes and all of this stuff. And it really bummed me out. I, I appreciate that the money's going towards charity, but it just felt icky like buying votes. And so, I told Scuba Steve, like, no, I'm gonna go the Obama route on this. I'm gonna grassroots campaign and market myself and not buy my votes. I'm just gonna do it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> so it's been working and I'm I'm super excited and I can't thank you guys enough for supporting me. I'll definitely keep you posted. Um, I apologize if you get spammed with crap after this. It's Hopefully that's not what happens, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm obsessed with this. I, I, again, I already have the next steps for this planned and, you know, Scuba Steve said, well, what are you going to do with the money? So I, I have mapped out what I'm going to do in terms of what I'm going to give and what I'm going to invest. And of course, because he's my partner, I'm going to take him on our dream vacation. So I have plans. I have ideas. This stuff is already <laughs> said and done. So I'll keep y'all posted, and in the meantime, thank you for voting for your friend, and uh, let's keep it going. Bye.